1: Hello, Orlando! (laughs) Welcome to Pod Save America.
2: I'm John Favreau. I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco.
3: How lucky for you! (laughs) You don't always draw Alyssa. (laughs) I'm John Lovett. (laughs) I'm Tommy Vitor.
4: Dan Pfeiffer.
1: <laughs> we have a great show for you tonight. A little later, we'll be talking to the representative from Florida's 7th District, right here in Orlando, Congresswoman Stephanie Murphy. But first, some news. The president of the United States spent his weekend reacting to various Fox & Friends segments with a series of Twitter rants, because that's how he rolls. A mm. uh, lot of news, as always, on, on Sunday from his Twitter feed. First, he accused mm-hmm. his own Justice Department and the FBI of corruption for not doing more to investigate Hillary Clinton and the Obama administration. does that every once in a while. <laughs> um, <sighs> then he defended the alleged corruption of Washington, D.C.'s worst tenant, EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt. Oh. Um, Said Pruitt's doing a great job. This is after Democratic and Republican members of Congress have called on the EPA administrator to resign after reports that he spent billions of taxpayer dollars on a 20-person security detail, first-class flights, uh, private phone booths, and then demoted staffers who complained about this. Plenty of hissing. That's right. Um, (laughs) Alyssa... Trump obviously isn't afraid to fire cabinet secretaries. Fired the Secretary of State while on the toilet. Um, fired... You should he, just be clear about that. He wasn't on the toilet. We her you don't was. know. We don't know. Oh, reports. Sorry. We don't know who was on the toilet. So, wait, multiple At people. Least, could, you may, people may or may have not been on the as toilet. As many as two, as few as one. That's right. <laughs> uh, fired the VA secretary. Why is uh, Mr. Drain the Swamp holding on to... Scott Pruitt, perhaps the most corrupt cabinet official of all.
2: I mean, we were talking about this earlier, and I, I think the last time the EPA secretary had security, like what he has, was right after 9 11. So, and like what.
1: And did the end of that EPA secretary have 20 people on a security detail? No. They no. said that it's because of, he's getting death threats, and then someone. Mr. Tried to ask the EPA, okay, could you provide examples of the death threats and that have come how to him? And they said, sad. sorry, we don't have any.
2: How sad that his self esteem is so low. He's like fabricating death threats. <laughs> He's like, please, someone does want to kill me. I'm relevant. But I think that. <laughs> I think that Donald Trump keeps him around because he's, like, such a sad soul that he's, like, so indebted to him. He's like, please, I love you, please, I'm sorry. I, I tried to get a private plane charter, and I've, I've fired these people, and I've, I've literally violated 14 rules of being a cabinet secretary, and Trump's like, that's my guy.
5: <laughs> <laughs> he enjoys it. Tommy, what do you think? Why is Scott Pruitt still here? Why is he hanging off? I think there's a couple reasons. One, Trump is actually a coward, despite being the you're you're fired guy. He doesn't actually have the balls to fire people. He has his chief of staff do it, or he just maligns them in the press until they resign. There's also a functional reason for that, which is that if a a cabinet secretary resigns, you can uh, appoint someone as a temporary replacement. Um, Regardless, they're going to have to go through a brutal confirmation process. But then there's also the point that a lot of uh, big money, special interests, the Koch brothers, industry lobbyists, etc., yeah. like Scott Pruitt, and they're all telling their buddies and their lobbyist friends and their PR firms behind the scenes to keep them on board because they think that ultimately he's going to gut all the environmental regulations that they hate, and to them, that's that's worth all the corruption.
3: I just, I find, like, I, I think that is the reason, but it's so strange because. It's not like we're sh- we're, there's a shortage of that guy. No. There's a <laughs> there's lot of a, that guy. A yeah, he, wasn't, of, he
1: wasn't hired for his expertise. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> yeah,
4: Yeah, he, no, he has no particular like planet-destroying powers. Like, anyone <laughs> can do that job.
1: Yeah, Yeah. well, I noticed it, And so on, on one of the Sunday shows today, uh, Senator Mike Rounds, I believe from Nebraska, said, um, yes, he's engaged in potential corruption and, and some of these activities he's been doing may have been wrong, but you know, he's got to be there because he's carrying out Donald Trump's agenda, and that's important. Which seems like it's basically admitting that the Republican Party position right now in the Trump era is, you can be as corrupt as you want. What's important is that you pass the policies we
3: believe in. Yeah, he accidentally told the truth. That he was not deft enough. What you supposed <laughs> to say is: this is, he is being targeted by the left right. because he's such an effective administrator for the Trump agenda. He's going after these regulations, he's going after the clean air rules, and therefore he's become a target from the fake news and that's why we're standing by him. But he forgot to do that part. He just said what they really (laughs) think, which is, why would we get rid of Scott Pruitt? He's doing such a wonderful job.
4: Well, here's the other thing about this, is he's actually not doing that good a job, (laughs) (laughs) because he has gone about trying to repeal all of Obama's planet-saving initiatives, the in order to destroy the planet, but he's in it such a ham-handed way that they've, most of them have been struck down by court. So most of the environmental rules that Obama put in place that were in, they were in place when Obama left in 2016 are still in place today because Scott Pruitt is actually not that good at his job.
1: In fact, all of them, he hasn't successfully repealed a single Obama regulation that has gone into effect. Uh, um, now, He's still, of course, done damage because EPA is also about enforcement, and he hasn't enforced a lot of the laws on the book, so obviously that's Yeah, he's not been good. Damaged. He's not Be good. Clear. But, yeah, he's bad. Yeah. But he hasn't been able to successfully repeal new regulations, um, which is good. Um, you should say yet. Yet, but that's why, oh, what? that's why they want to keep him in there. They want
3: to keep him at it, you know? Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying it takes time to undo eight years of... Of progress. That's right, it does. Give him, um, give him time. So, Trump also tweeted about the trade so, war he's trying to yeah, start with. turtle trade. and the hare.
1: <laughs> you got anything else?
3: <laughs> no, I want to leave the people wanting more Boo! <laughs>
6: no.
3: <laughs> Not
1: the first time you're going to hear that. Um, Trump also tweeted about the trade war he's trying to start with China, telling everyone not to worry because the Chinese president is a good pal of his. Uh, I believe he said, we'll we'll be friends no matter what. (sighs) Um, (laughs) And he he predicted that eventually the Chinese president will drop all of these tariffs and they'll make a deal. Dan, what incentive does President Xi have to do that? (laughs) Is there in what world does President Xi say you're right? We're good pals. Let's let's cut this I whole trade I think
4: President Xi will respond to Trump when he stops laughing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it, it, the the she has every advantage in this fight because he doesn't have to worry about politics. He doesn't have to worry about a Congress. If a bunch of farmers in China want to complain, they can't. It's not allowed. <laughs> And so...
1: This is why Trump is very envious of him. Yes. Yes. So <laughs> it's like, how that, do I get that?
4: Yeah, it, seems, it seems like a great deal to Trump. And so Trump is in the middle of playing a game of chicken, but he doesn't know the part about turning at the last minute. And he's put it, it's putting us in a very precarious situation.
1: <laughs> yeah. How does this trade war thing get resolved, Love it? What do you think?
3: Oh, a couple different <laughs> routes it could go, I think. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to predict... But uh, we have been sort of at a disadvantage that Dan has been talking about with China for, a, for longer than the Trump administration. There are disadvantages that come along with being a free and open society and a democracy that changes its leaders and often its parties every four years, in the White House every two years, in the Congress. You know, the, right now, for example, China's actively expanding infrastructure. They have projects, infrastructure projects to build economic zones that span the Middle East all the way uh, to Asia uh, to put themselves in a position to dominate the global economy for the next 100 years. That is their plan. Now, we have been at a disadvantage because we don't, we don't do 100-year plans. We do, at best, four-year plans. If you're lucky, an eight-year plan, uh, which put us at a disadvantage. But now, we have someone who has a two-day plan or a Fox and Friends <laughs> plan. <laughs> Uh, and so th- this tit for tat, you can be sure that there are smart people sitting around a table gaming out in, uh, you know, <laughs> around the Chinese president thinking through if they do this, we'll do that. If they do that, we'll do this. And I don't know about you. Mm-hmm. I have less confidence uh, that Donald <laughs> Trump and Etc. Yeah. are as thoughtful.
5: I mean, Xi Jinping's <laughs> literally had his name added to Communist Party doctrine and will be there in perpetuity. He changed the rules so that he can be essentially emperor for life. So he's all set. He has no politics to worry about. He's not worried about college towns and swing states coming out for him in the numbers he needs. Uh, so <laughs> when he sees Donald Trump very obviously preparing a series of moves and, and attacks on China... They can sit back and prepare, okay, what are the responses we can make that will cause them the maximum political harm? So they targeted Paul Ryan's district. They've targeted Mitch McConnell's district. They got they the motorcycles. They got the motorcycles. <laughs> they got the bourbon. They targeted farmers. And this is how they're going to play this game because they can move quickly and absolutely and they have no politics to fear. So that's why these tit-for-tat trade wars are not smart in any way. That's why we're not set up. He's going to Wisconsin. Up. He's going to Michigan. Right, that's <laughs> right. That's why we're, we're not set up to win these All things. The like yeah. there's, there's international if places. If only Hillary that's had thought about Wisconsin. Where is right. the Chinese president. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I say? it. waiting five seconds. I don't hear it. Come on, man. It Xi Jinping is. just hired Cambridge Analytica. <laughs> so we're, we're good to go.
4: It <laughs> is funny about how the, the Chinese like, pop culture interpretation of American culture, is like, they like whiskey, motorcycles, and they farm. <laughs> yeah.
1: True. All right, so, Scott Pruitt's doing a great job. Uh, President Xi is gonna be Friends for Life, so he's got those
3: taken care of. She just, I don't want to move past the Friends for Life thing. We just <laughs> gl- gl- glossed right over it. It is... <laughs> as if that should be reassuring to us. <laughs> like, whatever happens to our economy... She and I are going to be okay. will be <laughs> Thank goodness. I was worried about their friendship because, you know, people grow apart. You, you have, dip, you know, and it's hard when you work with somebody you're friends with. We have that, you know? We work together all day. Do we go out to dinner as much as we used to? No. Why would we? We spend all day together. We have differences of opinion. Does that bleed over to a Sunday night Game of Thrones thing? It does. Sometimes it does. Pundit is an angel, thank you. <laughs> Go on,
1: John. Uh, <laughs> it's the easy applause lines that really drive you.
6: <laughs>
1: okay, so to top it all off, after the uh, first few te- tweets, uh, Trump finally tweeted about... <laughs> Let's grow up, okay? You're
3: absolute. Let's you're children. You, you guys laugh like you're not tall enough for the rides.
6: <laughs> <laughs>
3: All right. Hey, wait. there's a kid in the... Well, how old are you? 13. <laughs>
6: <laughs>
3: you look great in that shirt.
1: Um, we have to talk about Syria now, so it's more oh. serious. Um. Sorry, guys. So Trump tweeted about uh, an absolutely horrific attack in Syria where it seems as though uh, Bashar al-Assad used chemical weapons to kill civilians, including children. Trump issued a vague threat that Assad would pay a big price. Didn't say what. Um, He specifically called out Putin for supporting Assad, which is the first time he has called out Putin for anything except congratulations. And then he attacked Obama for his Syria policy saying... If President Obama had crossed his stated red line in the sand, the Syrian disaster would have ended long ago. Mixed a few metaphors there, yeah. but not, <laughs> the, not, the, not the right the, metaphor. The least of the problems. Um, all of this comes a few days after the Trump administration said they're planning on removing all US troops from Syria. Tommy, what are our options in Syria at this point and what is
5: allowing Assad to continue these horrific attacks? Well, first I want to point out that the Syria tweets came at the end of a series that started with flagging something Jesse Waters, one of the dumbest people at Fox, said, followed by a complaint about his coverage, then we got to the war crime. So that is the, literally, he shows us every time he tweets uh, what things he f- thinks are the most important to the least. Um, the, the options in Syria, I mean, look, the last time he used chemical weapons, he used sarin gas, killed 1,300 people. Trump. Uh, launched 59 Tomahawk missiles, struck an airport uh, that was essentially back up and running the next day, but what it did do was get the entire pundit class in Washington, D.C. to say that that was the night he'd become president. Uh, And I don't mean to be glib about this, because you know, Barack Obama, the Obama administration, the international community handed Trump an incredibly difficult situation in Syria with no great options, but the reality is um, Assad has been killing innocent civilians with impunity, for six or seven years now. Uh, The fact that he used chemical weapons speaks to the fact that they're trying to take out one last rebel stronghold and they use chemical weapons to terrorize people and try to scare them into submission. Basically, it's like they just escalate until they get to the worst. Okay, so you know there's two things they could do. They could respond militarily. Ideally, you would go to the UN or some international forum and try to rally the international community in the world to do something in response. Um, but that gets increasingly difficult when uh, you have fewer and fewer friends and allies left to make your case. Is that because Russia refuses to do anything? Russia refuses to do anything, but I mean, it's not like anybody else is stepping up and, and acting particularly heroically here, right?
1: So, in light of all these tweets, there's another, uh, there was a Washington Post story that said uh, John Kelly, chief of staff in the White House, has been basically threatening to quit once a week. Um, Alyssa, do you think it matters at all? No. If Kelly, if Kelly no, goes I think it's stays? like
2: it's like if you threaten once and you don't go, it, you know, okay, you're never gonna go. You're just like, ah, I don't want to be here. And then you stay, and everyone's like, he's a loser. But. <laughs> I mean, I think he's just like alone in his office. And so, whether he's there or not there, I don't think it really matters. It sounds like it's just Trump, Jared, and like Scott Pruitt. He's
1: just hanging out. Just hanging out. Why hasn't John Kelly been able to uh, restore order to the White House? I thought that was supposed to be the whole Because uh,
2: they didn't take away Donald Trump's Twitter account. Yeah. I mean, that's. That
1: seems like about. That's seems like about. the thing. <laughs> Let's talk about the midterm elections a little bit because Florida has become one of the key states that will decide control of Congress yeah. in 2018. You have a couple of competitive house races, including two of the country's top pickup opportunities for Democrats in the Florida 26th and the Florida 27th. You have the chance to elect a Democratic governor for the first time in a while. Uh, and you absolutely have to send Bill Nelson back to the Senate. Let's start there. Any day now, could be as early as tomorrow, Governor Rick Scott is expected to announce that he's running against Bill Nelson. I always thought we were going to have more Rick Scott fans. Um, (laughs) So for some reason, Rick Scott has a 58% approval rating, a shitload of money, and he's going to try to run as a more centrist Republican. He's going to say he's presided over job creation, bucked the NRA to pass a modest gun control bill. Dan, how does Bill Nelson run against Rick Scott?
4: Rick Scott is going to go to Washington to be Trump's right-hand man. He's going to fight for the Trump agenda. He's not going to stand for Florida. He's going to support tax cuts for the wealthy, paid for by cutting Social Security, taking health care away from Florida seniors, from everyone in Florida, has to run very aggressively against Trump. And Bill Nelson has the advantage of being someone with a long-time record in Florida Mm -hmm. who... Who is can, it will be very hard for, Scott, for Rick Scott to sort of separate Bill Nelson from his Florida roots. But I think the argument here is about a check on Trump and Bill Nelson will offer that and Rick Scott will do the opposite.
3: <laughs> and and I, think as, I think the other piece of it is healthcare. I think, uh, you know, Rick Scott is someone who came to prominence as someone who campaigned against Obamacare. <laughs> You just crook. Oh, someone just said crook. Is that what you said crook? Yes. Obvi- yeah. So I mean, what, what was it? 1.7 billion for Medicare fraud. Uh, but uh, on healthcare, he he came uh, to prominence saying that he was going to fight to repeal Obamacare, fought Obamacare every step of the way, refused to expand Medi- Medicaid in this state, even though he said that and <laughs> he said that because of the death of his mother caused him to change his mind and realize that the Medicaid expansion was a good idea and then changed his mind again. Um, and, you know, it's very similar to what he did on the, um, the federal money for rail. He just, out of pure ideology, turned down money that just would have come to this state to provide money for infrastructure, provide money for healthcare, purely out of ideology. But, um, on the healthcare front, he is slippery on this because he knows that, by, that now a majority of people in Florida believe Obamacare should either be kept in place or expanded, and only a small, small fraction of the state believe it should be repealed outright. And so he is trapped in that position, and he knows it's a liability, which is why he's tried to run away from it, or at least back away from it a bit more, and we just cannot let him. Uh, his position on Medicaid is despicable. When Obamacare was passed, there were estimates for how far... Uh, how many people would receive health care in states like Florida. And Republicans have said for years, oh, the, you can't trust these projections. But one of the things Democrats and Republicans and analysts and nonpartisan people couldn't believe is how far uh, Republican governors would be willing to go to hurt their own constituents, to hurt their own people in order to be anti-Obama. Because this was money that Florida would have gotten as a check. No, no, you would not have to pay a dime more in taxes here in Florida. You've already paid for it. You've already paid for it with your tax dollars to the federal government, and he turned it down, purely out of partisanship, and it hurt a million people in this state. It hurts this state every day.
1: It's basically just like sending... It's sending Florida tax dollars to other states. Yeah, right. Basically, Floridians are paying for other people to be insured on, on Medicaid because Scott wouldn't take the money, so that's great. Um, so, Dan, you talked about tying Scott to Trump. Uh, there's been this debate about how much Democratic candidates should make these races about Donald Trump in 2018. And there's a piece in the New York Times today that says one of the messages Republicans plan to run on now is if you elect a Democratic Congress, they're just going to focus on impeaching Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, is that. <laughs>
4: Herein lies the problem, people. (laughs)
1: They're
3: they're, they're like, that's awesome. We should run on that.
1: (laughs) Well, so what they're saying is Republicans are excited about this because they think this is the one thing that will excite their base, that will unite conservative Republicans, Trump fans, and just regular Republican voters, that they'll say maybe we don't like Trump that much, but if those people, if all they're going to do is impeach him when they come into office or try to impeach him, then maybe I don't want a Democratic Congress. What, What do you think about that?
4: They're definitely going to do that, and it's probably not going to work as well as they think. But they they really have no good cards here, right? Yeah, they're they're, like they have. I mean, the
3: Republicans are definitely going to say this. Yes,
4: the Republicans. (laughs) Republicans are saying this. Have no good cards to play. They're they've only passed one piece of legislation. It's the most unpopular piece of legislation ever passed by a sitting legislature. And so they're like they're grasping for straws, and they've been getting their ass kicked all up and down the ballot all across the country. Now then, that's great. That's cool. Now, the question for Democrats, and it's, it is a red herring issue, right. because if we elected 300 Democrats and they went in and impeached Trump, there is zero chance that a Senate, two-thirds of the United States Senate, is going to convict Trump. Like, that is, that is not going to happen. And so that is, I think Trump has definitely committed offenses that are worthy of impeachment. I have no <laughs> doubt of that. But what we, we need to run on, what we're going to do to check the corruption in Washington that is done by Trump, done by people like Scott Pruitt, and enabled by this Republican Congress, and, that, and there's no better example of that than the tax cut bill, where they gave a massive tax cut to, the, to billionaires like the Koch brothers. The Koch brothers received that check, turned around, and wrote a half-million-dollar check to Paul Ryan's PAC to thank him for passing that bill. Those are the sort of things that we should be running on, and each individual candidate should decide whether they're going to talk, whether how they want to talk about impeachment. But I think the core message, we can get to we can get go down a rabbit hole if we focus on
2: that.
1: Uh, Alyssa, what do you think about I, what, what I, should Democrats say? I about really
2: don't want Democrats to talk about impeachment. I think it's just such low hanging fruit, it's such red meat for the Republicans. And like if I'm a Democrat that made it through twenty sixteen, I'm like, tell me what you're gonna do for me. You know, like tell me about health care. <laughs> Thank you. But like, if I hear one person talk about impeachment, I'm not, I'm not gonna be happy. Look,
1: I just, I think it's a very easy answer if you get asked about, do you think Donald Trump should be impeached? I think you say, we want a Democratic Congress so we can finally fully investigate this president and hold him accountable because the Republican Congress refuses to do that. Right. And when we do that, if we uncover crimes, like crimes and misdemeanors, yes, then we will start impeachment proceedings. Right. But, but,
2: but, but I mean, don't elect me because I'm gonna go there and only try to impeach him. Right. Just, like that's.
5: It's so funny, that, like, you, you see all these, a couple days earlier in the New York Times, there's a story about all these members of Congress resigning, because they're like, all that anyone talks about is Trump. There's nothing we can do, nothing breaks through, it's a referendum on Trump. And then some Republican strategist calls Jonathan Martin in the New York Times and says, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to make this a referendum <laughs> about getting rid of Trump. It's like everyone's coalescing around the same strategy. So they can sell this all they want. I don't think Democrats should go out there and like, beat the drum of impeachment all day, every day, but I think this is going to be a wave of election that's about Trump. Hopefully we will benefit enormously from that wave. But good luck, guys. I like our strategy better than yours. Yeah.
1: So there's a headline in the Tampa Bay Times last week that read, a Democratic wave from younger voters in Puerto Rico don't bank on it. And the piece argues that despite all the students who've become politically active after Parkland and despite the 100,000 or so Puerto Ricans who've moved here after the government's fairly disastrous response to Hurricane Maria, um, that these voters may not turn out or swing the election. Dan, what do you think of this?
4: That is correct if you base it on history. But something different is happening here. Like, we just met backstage. <clears throat> we, we just met backstage with a group of students, high school students and students from UCSF, who helped organize the march here in Orlando, including some, including some alumni of Stoneman Douglas High School. And they have a plan like you would not imagine. They are not fucking around. They, they organized this march. They, they left the march over burgers, organized what co- the, their next 10 steps, whether it's doing town halls, whether it's registering students to vote. And so there is something very different happening here with young people. And it's like, we got a lot of time to the election. People gotta keep working, keep organizing, keep staying focused. But I've never had more confidence that young people will come out than I do right now.
1: All right, we're going to end the news with a new segment called Under the Radar, where everyone gets to pick a story that people aren't talking about enough Mm. and talk about it. Very simple. Mm. Alyssa, why don't you start? I
2: didn't want to get anything wrong, so I wrote some things down. Um, But I don't know how many people know, maybe not enough, about the Office of Refugee Resettlement. And this has been a story going back for about six months, and every couple of weeks it pops. And the Office of Refugee Resettlement has the following mandate. They are meant to help assimilate people who have come here from difficult places and help teach them about our country, right, and make sure that they're, like, good to go. And what the Trump administration has done uh, is picked the former policy coordinator for the Knights of Columbus to run this. And the one qualification he seemed to have was that he takes credit for the late-term abortion ban in six states. And, exactly, and has made it his business as the head of this office to monitor unaccompanied minors, women, who want to get an abortion. He tracks them, he gets updates on them, and um, luckily, I mean, he continues to pursue this agenda, but every judge has blocked what he's wanted to do, but he's still there, and we have to talk about it more. Oh, his name is Scott Lloyd, by the way, FYI. Good, so now we know.
3: Just the worst people. The worst people. The worst people they are. Love it. I don't think we're focusing enough on the fact that not only was Scott Pruitt not paying fair rent... He also didn't pay the fifty dollars. <laughs> no, I mean, that's amazing. The, uh, the landlords uh, had to change the yeah, locks. The to landlord, lock them up.
6: Yeah. yeah, he, he that's went true.
3: all he went what about Bob on these people? <laughs> <laughs> you, get, you get the EPA administrator in your house, and you they go, oh, "That's kind of cool. What a fancy guy." Oh my God, the EPA administrator. Then they can't get rid of him, <laughs> uh, and they have business before the EPA. No, so Oklahoma uh, teacher strikes. We've seen uh, oh, walkouts. Man. We've seen walkouts in Oklahoma, Kentucky, West Virginia, and in, in, in this is about salaries, this is about pensions, this is about just... <laughs> it's about human decency, thank you. Uh, I just want you to know your mic is not working. Um,
6: <laughs> uh,
3: it's about... Uh, um, it's about keeping the literally keeping the lights on and keeping the heat on in classrooms where some schools have set their thermosets to 57 degrees. It's about four-day... Uh, school weeks instead of five day school weeks to save money. Um, But this is, I think, it's really important because it's the culmination of an ideology that said, cut taxes, give businesses breaks to come to your state, strip down the budget, and growth will come, revenue will come in some distant future, but it just hasn't happened, and it's gutted basic services, it's forced teachers to get second jobs, it's forced a huge turnover, it's it's caused a huge turnover in Oklahoma schools, and what we're seeing is, and and in Kentucky we've seen something similar, West Virginia similar, Oklahoma teachers haven't gotten a raise in a decade, their their pay is ranked 49th uh, in the country, Uh, and I think these teachers coming out and taking to the streets tells us something, it tells us that First of all, this ideology has its logical conclusion. There's only so much you can cut, there's only so much you can uh, take from the people that keep your, keep your uh, community running uh, before they say is enough, enough is enough. Uh, I think is a lesson for us for politicians in Washington because that's exactly what they're doing on the corporate tax cut. You cut revenue, you give money back to corporations, you give money to to the wealthy, and then you come back a year later to cut basic services, to cut Social Security, to cut Medicare, to cut Medicaid. And I think there's a lesson for Democrats looking for how to compete because what we see is people taking to the streets in bright red states telling us that they don't feel like they have people advocating for them in their state legislatures, in their governor's mansions. And that tells us that as much as we think these places are lost, they're not lost. uh, There are people there who are looking for someone who will fight for working people, who will fight for teachers and nurses and doctors and, 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 and basic government services. And I think Democrats have been cowed for a very long time to not just defend Basic, good government, the kind of thing that stitches a community together, and we have to do that more because I think if we do, there are a bunch of people in Oklahoma and Kentucky and West Virginia and elsewhere that are are ready to vote Democrat again. Tommy, Um, before, before the horrific
5: chemical weapons attack that refocused our attention on Syria the other day, there were a series of reports that Trump told his generals basically that he wants out, whether it's six months or a year, but he wants out right away. But you're not allowed to call it a timeline because that's what Obama had. So that's sort of how he defined and thought through the issue. Um, there was a similar report from the same set of meetings that someone from the CIA showed him a video of a drone strike And they were telling him how they created a new munition that was smaller, that limited civilian casualties and could really only take out a certain area. And they said, look, watch this video. We wait till this person walks away from innocent civilians and then we took the shot. And he said, why did you wait? Um, So a few Mm. things, one, that is pathological. That is stone cold, evil murder. Uh, And it is so wrong and insane that he would think that way that it's deeply troubling. Two, uh, it shows that he has no broader understanding of how you actually succeed against terrorism. You don't do it by indiscriminately killing innocent people. You do it through a whole series of tools that involve some military action, some development, some diplomacy. But you actually have to care about and focus on all parts of the problem. Three, you know, it shows that he has zero interest in, in expert advice from the advisors he has, the generals that are important, and that he no longer cares what they think. And, and lastly, like I think... What frustrates me the most is there's so much noise in the, in the press and the media that we're reading about Stormy Daniels or this or that, that we actually don't focus on these, atten- these issues nearly enough. And they don't get a public debate uh, in the press, in Congress, or anywhere else uh, that actually focuses our attention, makes people care, makes people pressure their representatives to try to do the right thing. So I don't have a, an easy answer to this. Like, I... I come to this with a lot of humility as someone who worked in the Obama administration and knows that the outcome in Syria is horrific. Uh, and it's not something any of us are proud of and it's something we'll all be thinking about till the day we die. But there is a better way to run a railroad. There's a better way to like, work on these issues, try to develop policy and actually demonstrate to people in Syria, to your own military, to the world that you actually care and are trying to fix things and not just solve a political problem. Uh, and that's not happening right now. Yeah. Oh. I know there's Q&A in this part. It's a, it's a softball. Okay. Did Donald Trump tweet today
4: blaming Obama for this because Obama didn't, quote, respond when, he, when the red line was crossed?
3: Yeah. Red line in the sand, he said. Yes. Red line in the sand. I was, Which gonna,
4: is, I was trying not to let you down the mixed metaphor path, but go ahead.
3: But then rounds on Meet the Press said red line in the sand. So now that's something we're going to have to deal with. People saying red line in the sand.
4: <laughs> now,
3: Least to, of our problems. Now,
4: Tommy, what was Trump's position on Obama attacking Syria in 2013?
5: Uh, he opposed it, Dan. He said yes. we would be stupid if we were to attack Syria. So, so Giant hypocrite. So it's not on the level. All day, so, every way possible. The old tweets are there. They yes. don't go away. I also Ugh.
4: bet Trump would fail a pop quiz on his 2013 position on Obama's Syria attack. Dan, <laughs> what you got? So, we have another election coming up. Two weeks from now, there's a special election in Arizona for a congressional seat. Yes. So, a few months ago, a Republican congressman named Trent Franks uh, had to resign, mm. as many are wont to do, for some pretty shitty things he did and said and allegations of sexual mis- misconduct towards his staffers.
3: A lot of that going around. What's that? Nothing going on.
4: <laughs> <laughs> and so, we, the race is in, it's two weeks from tomorrow, April 24th. And there is a very good Democratic candidate running. She's an emergency room physician named Dr. Hiral Tempranani. And this is a district that is very Republican. It is just as Republican as the one that Connor Lamb won in Pennsylvania last month. And so this one has gotten less attention because after uh, getting his ass kicked by showing up in Pennsylvania repeatedly, Donald Trump is pretending this one is not happening. And, frankly, Washington Democrats are trying not to, like, shift the narrative here, so they're being they're focusing on it less. Now, it is most definitely a tougher race than the one in Pennsylvania, because even though Trump won it by the same margin, there are 80,000 more Republicans and Democrats in this district. But if we are going to build a sustainable majority in this country and build a strong electoral advantage, so we're not just... Find deciding the president based on 70,000 votes in three states, we have to run hard in these races. And the fact is, yeah! no one knows what's gonna happen in this race. Not a single media poll has happened. We don't know, we're just guessing based on past performance. And if we guessed on past performance, then Doug Jones wouldn't be in the Senate, Connor Lamb wouldn't be in the House, and alarmingly, Donald Trump wouldn't be president. So if you have any interest in this race, you can go to Dr. Temperani's Dr. T- website. You can donate on Act Blue. And whatever happens here, the Democratic Party is going to be better off because we ran a well-funded, well-organized campaign in a strong Republican district. And that's going to help. And that's not just going to maybe get, deliver, deliver this seat for the Democrats. It's also going to help flip Arizona Blue and win Jeff Flake's seat. And... And... Arizona is going to be a core battleground state in 2020, and we will benefit from the work that is done right now. So I encourage people to look up that race, get involved, see if you can help. Mm -hmm. All right. Um,
1: So I got one. Uh, We talked about how Florida is one of the 18 states that rejected the Medicaid expansion. Uh, Commonwealth of Virginia was another one of those states. But because Democrats won... 15 House of Delegate seats in 2017 in Virginia, and because they won the governorship, uh, this 15 seats was a number no one expected. No one thought 15 was possible. They thought they'd get a couple. They never thought 50, they'd get 15. Because they did, the Virginia Legislature is now on the cusp of expanding Medicaid to 400,000 Virginians. <laughs> 70% of Floridians support a Medicaid expansion. So if you need another reason to vote in November, there's your reason right there.
4: Can I offer a suggestion, John? Florida is one of the handful of states where you could actually put Medicaid expansion on the ballot through the ballot initiative process. Yeah. So what I we think need two
1: state senators have tried to introduce Yes. Those. And yeah. so
4: if... It, that is something that I think progressive groups in the state should be working on. We need to elect a democratic governor for the first time in this fucking century <laughs> in Florida. And then, and if you can't get it done through what is already a Republican legislature, put it on the ballot, motivate, that, this will be something that will turn people out. And you could give healthcare to a million people. Is there, what better investment of time, energy, and money is there than a ballot initiative like that?
1: It's also why all these state legislature races are so important. Every single race matters, state, local, national.
5: Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash PSA. Go today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash PSA.
3: Now for a game we call OK Stop. (laughs) Here's how it works. We roll a clip, when we feel like it. A fit of pique, a moment of hope. (laughs) We say OK Stop, and then we talk about it. Last week, a video went viral showcasing how Sinclair Media was turning their local news channels... Uh, into conservative propaganda <laughs> machines, forcing all the networks to run the exact same promos filled with right-wing talking points. On top of that, these local channels are also being forced to run mandatory political commentary from the chief political analyst of Sinclair Media, former Trump aide Boris Epstein.
4: <laughs> no, Boris, ain't here.
3: They know all the hits. Yeah. I mean, for yeah. real. <laughs> Boris, let's roll the clip.
8: President Trump continues to reshape his administration. In the past few weeks, the president has announced a new Secretary of State, CIA director, top economic advisor, national security advisor, and Secretary of Veterans Affairs.
4: Okay, stop. There are two ways to look at this. I know. (laughs) (laughs) One of them is, he did a really shitty job of hiring the first time, and and his administration is embroiled in complete chaos.
1: Yeah, you listen to this and you're like, oh, did he just become president? (laughs) (laughs) Just announcing all these people now? Oh, no, he
4: fired
3: all their asses. That's why he's announcing these people. Right, it's like, yes, as all good administrations do at the 13th or 14th month mark, you replace half the cabinet in a week. (laughs) I also just, this is not the most important part, but I do think it's interesting that Boris can barely uh, enunciate that he is a marble-mouthed, hard to under, like... Take out your mouth guard, man. What are you doing? um, He's so fundamentally inarticulate, and he has zero TV charisma. And, And I think that's actually subtly important because this is very Banana Republic, right? This guy's not here because he won the audition. You know, they didn't have 40 people try. It wasn't bottom line with Steve and bottom line with Sarah. And then they're like, Boris won. You know, we did it, and Boris was the best at this. No, he's just a crony. Like, this is the... This is how you know he's a crony. Because look how bad he is. (laughs)
8: More changes are always possible. So why all the turnover? Well, the president deserves to have staff around him who support his agenda and are doing a good job.
5: Okay, stop. (laughs) Quick reminder that Boris got fired from the White House for doing a bad job. (laughs) (laughs) Like, in record time. Like to so love this point the reason boris got this job is he was the first dude fired He was the first person available that worked for Trump. This is Boris' soft landing.
2: (laughs) But but also, it's like, oh, he gets to have the people he really wants now. Did he not know what he believed in when he became president? I mean, like, why was this, like, (laughs) turnover necessary? This is a person we're trusting with problems in Syria. And he's like, I really don't know how I feel about the VA.
3: (laughs) He hired all of the people to begin with.
2: It's like they were all his.
3: Yeah, it's also just, like, who is this for exactly? Like, who is, like... Oh.
2: Well, love it. It's That's why. I
3: it. Now I get it.
2: It's the new season of The Apprentice. Yeah.
8: It is also important that an agency is not bogged down by infighting and alleged ethical shortcomings, as had unfortunately become the case with Veterans Affairs in the last few months. Longevity in a position does not always equal success. Okay, stop.
3: <laughs> he better hope so. I have to say, I have to say... It was also not romantic. (laughs) You know what I mean? Just take a second. You can imagine other set. You know what I mean, John? I think we get it, John. I think we got it, yeah. I think we got it.
5: I think we got it. I think
3: think think everyone picked up what you're putting down.
2: I did. Roll the clip. President Obama
8: had just two secretaries of state, Hillary Clinton and John Kerry. Secretary Clinton's 4 years on the job left us with a total meltdown in the Middle East.
1: Okay, We're so self- that was quite a detour he took to get to the yeah. Clinton basket. He was like, he only had two secretaries
3: of state. One of them sucked. I'll also just now I will talk about Look this. at the Sinclair B-roll. It's just like it's just like when you talk about Trump, you show him at the cabinet tape, cabinet room, you show him in the oval, you show him shaking hands, and you say the word Hillary and it's just ISIS. There's <laughs> Hillary's troops. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah, there's there's Robbie Mook, there's, <laughs> for the people at home, there's ISIS. All right. All right. (laughs) in the rise of ISIS.
8: An American ambassador to Libya was killed on Hillary Clinton's watch. John Kerry also had four years running the State Department. His big accomplishment, the Iran deal, which not only still allows Iran to work on nuclear technology, but also gives Iran billions of dollars, which have gone... Okay,
1: For those people listening at home, there was literally just a briefcase
5: full of money (laughs) that they showed. Right. A briefcase full of cash. Now there's a man walking on a burned car. Like none of this, they're just like, play the scary greatest hits.
2: He's looking for the briefcase of money.
4: (laughs) I think it is worth noting that 40% of American households had the opportunity to see Bottom Line with Boris. Yeah. How many? Um, 40%
1: too many. soon 40%. to be 72 it could be up to 72% 72. Yes. once Sinclair makes their merger so, not great, and buys the God. tribune properties 72% of all households we will see this
3: It's like, <laughs> too big to fail it's also just like don't pay attention to the fact that Donald Trump goes through cabinet officials like Harvey Weinstein goes through PR firms <laughs> talk about Hillary oh, <laughs> yeah. too what? much remember Benghazi <laughs> yeah.
4: I assume in Boris's contract it says two things one simple sentences and you must mention Hillary within five minutes yeah organizations such as Hamas and Hezbollah. Here's the bottom line.
8: <laughs> I would rather see a different Secretary of State every week than have anything like the Iran deal happen ever again. <laughs> okay, so okay. The President is here to get Okay, stop. And-
1: he may get his chance. But <laughs> <laughs> so with the rate we're going, it's this, still year This
8: to- is Boris
4: playing chess. He knows what's coming. <laughs>
8: <Yeah>. <laughs> Not to coddle staff or Cabinet members. The changes being made are all done in order to keep our country on a path of success, on the economy, and national security. Hey, friends. Hope you're having a great day. For more of my content, please go to breakfastwithboris.com and sign up for Breakfast <laughs> okay.
5: with Boris. Oh, Boris. <laughs> when, when this... When this a uh, clip went around to our team to like decide if we we're gonna do it for OK Stop. We were all looking at Boris's YouTube, and he had 136 subscribers. So there's not <laughs> there's not a lot of hunger for Boris's content out there. In the, like, on the don't
1: you wish you had a tagline that was for more of my content?
4: <laughs> Go to Is breakfast it? with Tommy.
3: <laughs> breakfast with Boris. Again, it's not the most important part, but he's you just actually don't see people that inarticulate <laughs> on television. You really don't. No. I mean, it's um it's not just the it's the quality of his voice is very he's bad. It's gargling. It's a hard voice to understand. It's not clear. It doesn't have a good yeah. tone to it. Lucky he's a bad <laughs> propagandist
4: I mean, a little mm. like Scott Pruitt and the Obama EPA rules is we are blessed by the idiocy of our enemies, yeah. and yes. like there could be someone who was really good at propaganda who was doing propaganda in forty percent of American homes. Well, that's Paul Ryan.
1: <laughs> 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 they got hired at Fox. Yeah, yeah. they got. <laughs> okay, gotta. when we come back, we will have our interview with Congresswoman Stephanie Murphy.
2: started at Angie.com that's A-N-G-I or download the app today
1: she represents Florida's 7th district has an F rating from the NRA and is the first Vietnamese American woman ever elected to the United States Congress please welcome Congresswoman Stephanie Murphy thanks for coming All right. Um, So two years ago, you'd never run for Congress before. And then you ran against... Or
7: any student office. Or any office. office.
1: (laughs) Um, And then you ran against a Republican who represented this district for 25 years, and you won. Um, Why did you decide that running was something that you wanted to do, and how did you pull off the upset?
7: Well, first, let me just thank you for having me on. I'm so excited to be here. I'm a huge fan. And um, I'm also excited that you're here in Orlando. As you've seen tonight, this is Orlando United. So I, I ran because I'm a patriot, and I believe that people who love this country can make it better um, if they're willing to... Serve And so, as you all may know, I am a refugee and an immigrant. My parents um, got on a boat when I was six months old and escaped communist Vietnam. And when we were adrift at sea, a U.S. Navy ship rescued us and allowed us to make it to a Malaysian refugee camp. And then from there, we were relocated to Virginia. And so I grew up in a um, working-class family, but I had an opportunity to go to college, be the first woman in my family to go to college, and then work in the corner office that my parents spent nights cleaning, and had the opportunity to go on to work for the Secretary of Defense, and I really just feel a debt of gratitude to this country. And so... In the 2016 election, you may remember the rhetoric just... um, It it didn't comport with the America I knew. And then on June 12th, a gunman walked into a nightclub in my community and took the lives of 49 um, people. And I felt like, you know, you can't have people spewing hateful rhetoric at the highest level and not expect to see it manifest itself in your own community. And then the man who had served this community for 20-some-odd years took a check from the NRA two days after the Pulse nightclub shooting. And, and I just really felt like, you know, if you're going to change what's going on in Washington, you have to change the kinds of people you're going to send there. And so I ran a campaign on change, security, and equality, and um, just really got my message out there. I en- ended up running a four-month campaign and unseating a 24-year incumbent. Wow.
2: So one of the things that I admire so much and why I am obsessed with this woman is that when you look at her career, she's always running towards the problem, right? So many people are like, oh, I see something. I'm going to go over here and ignore it. But after 9-11, Stephanie saw our country be attacked. And she's like, I'm going to go to the Department of Defense and serve. And so I just, I don't know if everybody knows that part of her story, but like, you know, I just love it. And I think that she's wonderful. But my my question for you is, you know, you have done that. Now you're in Congress. There's... Um, terrible shooting. Well, there are shootings all the time. There's a terrible one not far from here. And um, you actually have met with President Trump several times to discuss this. And so how would you, I think that in our hearts, we all want to believe that there's some compassion and awareness um, in our commander in chief, but what would you, and, and of course we know you're a discreet person, but what do you feel like you could share with us about what happened in some of those meetings?
7: So let me first say, and I, I'm going to quote an old boss of mine. Rumsfeld used to say, you go to war with the army you have, not the one that you want. And I believe that you legislate with the government you have, not mm-hmm. the one that you wish you did. And obviously, I had voted for a different person to occupy the White House. But I feel like in the two years I've been given, I have to work with the folks who are there to try to advance the um, interests of my constituents. So I have been over to the White House a number of times um, I was really hopeful when the president called that meeting. It was bicameral, bipartisan. He was giving it uh, the level of importance it deserved. And during the meeting, you know, he agreed to a bunch of things. And you could almost see staff in the background cringing, like, oh, we're (laughs) going to have to, like, unwind this. But I was really hopeful. I thought, you know, maybe finally we have broken through. And then within 24, 48 hours, despite talking a big game, he backed away from a lot of that. So the best thing that came out of that for me was that I had an opportunity to press this issue about lifting the ban on gun violence research that has been in place for 22 years. And with, with the help of... So it gave it a national platform where people who didn't know that that existed before did. But it also um, was fueled by the energy that the Parkland students provided this issue. And so when we got to the spending bill, I was able to um, press the House appropriators to consider including it. And so I'm really proud to say that about two weeks ago, we lifted this 22-year ban on gun violence research. (laughs)
1: How does, how does your own story and your own family's story shape your perspective on uh, refugee policy and immigration policy? And how do you talk to people, to constituents, who are uncomfortable with our immigration policy, who might you know, hear what Donald Trump says and feel more comfortable with that?
7: You know, I, I think, of course, having served at the Department of Defense, I believe that we should secure our borders and have a strong and smart national security but I feel like the conversation that we're having on immigration is um, it, it disconnected from the America that I know. You know, we have always been a place where we we have provided opportunity and refuge and yet we are having this conversation about immigrants that just isn't connected to the reality of what immigrants have contributed to this country. And I'll, I'll share a story with you, I was doing um, uh, coffees with your congresswoman around the district last week and I had one woman who had bought into this narrative and was uh, conflating the idea of the word immigrant with criminal mm-hmm. and I just had to say I'm sorry but I'm not going to sit here and let you do that. There's a very big distinction um, applause <clears throat> And I think we we are a country of laws, and we should do what we can to ensure that the rule of law is in place, and that we have processes and procedures, but we should not allow um, the rhetoric to drive us away from our American values. Um, And then I think the final thing I would say about that is that, we all know we need comprehensive immigration reform, but we can't do it in the context of all of this vilification and uh, rhetoric that is disconnected from reality.
2: Do you, yeah! Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned the coffees with the Congresswoman, which I'm obsessed with because, one, I think that women do these things more than men do. Um, and so I'm just curious if over the past, You know, two years since you've been in office, do you notice a change in the tone of them? Like, what are people's, what are the issues that pop up the most? And do you feel like in this really divisive political system that maybe people are a bit more unified or are they more sort of antagonistic?
7: So to answer your um, first question about what you hear the most, um, I hear about gun violence the most, and um, unfortunately, I'm hearing it from uh, constituents as young as nine, Mm. and that's really hard for me as somebody who has a seven-year-old to see a child not much older than my son ask me what I'm going to do to help him be more safe in his school, Um, but I also hear from moms and dads. I mean, that is a unifying issue that I heard um, overwhelmingly over the last couple of um, weeks. The other piece, though, is that the divisive piece. Mm -hmm. I have to tell you that my constituents, um, the thing that they're most grateful when I mention um, that I've done is they're most grateful that... I can tell them that based on an outside organization, I've been named the seventh most bipartisan member of Congress and the number one most effective member of the freshman class of 50 members. And it doesn't matter what our political positions are on a variety of issues because we don't always agree 100% of the time. They just want to know that there's somebody up there representing them who's willing to work with other people to get things done.
1: Um, so you probably just heard us talking about um, you know, Democrats in 2018 and trying to figure out as you run your races how much of the race is about President Trump is about tying your opponent to President Trump is about even talking about impeachment or not how do, how do you sort of navigate you know, trying to talk about what you're for and what you want to do for your constituents with talking about how you know, the opponent you may be running against may be supporting Donald Trump?
7: I think based on my experience that the most successful path is to find candidates that fit their district and run on issues that are important to their district. And I'll give you the example. When I got into this race at the end of June of 2016, I was uh, polling down 22%, and I had 6% name ID. And let's be honest, that's just because everybody knows a Murphy, but not necessarily (laughs) me, you know? Um, And so... But I went out there and I talked about you know, change and jobs, security and equality, and that matters to this district, um, and now I'm living into uh, you know, delivering actual legislation that supports those things, and I think when you look at a Connor Lamb or some of the other folks who have won these upsets, it's because they fit their district.
1: Last question, um, you were a first-time candidate just two years ago. Um, We have so many first-time candidates this time around, more women running for office than ever before. Um, uh, What's your advice to some of those younger first-time candidates?
7: So I wear this ring on my right hand, and I call it my courage ring. And my husband gave me this ring the night of the elections before the returns came in. And he's sitting in the wings right now listening. But... um, he gave me the ring and he said to me, You know, this is a ring to commemorate the fact that you had the courage to try. And I think that that's the advice I'd give everybody is like, have the courage to try, to go do that audacious thing that you're not sure what the end result is going to be, but know that the path to doing it is worth it.
2: That's great. Awesome.
7: Uh, thank you so much. Thank and, you. And um, would you mind sticking around for a game? Yes, let's do it. All right, we got a game.
3: Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much, uh, Congresswoman, for agreeing to be part of a game. You have a card in front of you. Would somebody out there like to play a game tonight? Hi. Hi, what's your name? I'm Kelly. Kelly. Is she wearing merch? (laughs) Yes, I am. I can barely see it, but good. (laughs) Kelly. (laughs) Uh,
0: It's well worn.
3: Okay. Good. (laughs) Yes. So... Governor Rick Scott, your governor, and uh, uh, also happens to be the estranged father of Carter Page, uh, is very likely running for Senate against sitting Democratic Senator Bill Nelson. Uh, This may surprise you, but we at Crooked Media would prefer Rick Scott not get elected to the Senate because he's a right-wing ideologue whose policies hurt Florida and the country. That's why tonight we want to play a game called We Would Prefer Rick Scott to Not Get Elected to the Senate. Because he's a right-wing ideologue whose policies hurt Florida and the country. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, are you ready to play the game? Yes, I am. <laughs> Question number one.
5: Love it. We haven't mentioned Marco Rubio once tonight.
3: I know, we forgot to talk about Marco Rubio. That
5: guy sucks!
3: (laughs) (laughs) Marco Rubio wanted to be here tonight. But he also didn't want to be here tonight. And then he also had no opinion on whether or not he should be here tonight. And actually, he doesn't get enough credit for what he used to think about whether or not he wanted to be here tonight. <laughs> and wh- the weirdest thing is, he tells people in Florida he wanted to be here tonight, but then in D.C. he says the exact fucking
6: opposite.
3: <laughs> <laughs> even the president not know anything. I, so, so <sighs> I, 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 I want to apologize to Congresswoman Murphy for... <laughs> thank really you for the, the generosity of spirit to be on stage <laughs> for this part. Kelly, enough dawdling. Where are you from in Florida?
0: Um, I live in Longwood, just north of Orlando.
3: What do you do in Florida?
0: Um, I am a stay-at-home mom. Two Great. How many days. kids do you have? Just one.
3: Just one kid? A boy, a boy or a girl? or
0: Boy. Um, he's just uh, six weeks old. This is my first time six away. Six weeks oh. old? Oh.
3: So this is like a night out.
0: Oh yeah, this is my first night away from him. And
3: and someone's watching him, I assume.
0: Oh yeah, his dad (laughs) is
6: watching
3: him. You're a new mom, I just, I don't know. know. Rick Scott's, (laughs) question number one, Kelly. Rick Scott's political career has been defined by his opposition to Obamacare, but polls show that a majority of Floridians would rather keep or expand the law, not repeal it. This has put your governor in a tough spot. Which of the following describes the governor's actions on health care? Is it A? After the death of his mother in 2013, he said that
4: the painful and personal experience led him to change his mind and support the Medicaid expansion in Obamacare.
7: Is it B? Two years later, he changed his mind again, single-handedly denying health care to one million Floridians, which would have been paid for by the federal government, not Florida.
3: <laughs> I want to pause and say that that line reading was terrific. <laughs> There's all caps in that section. Thank you. Is it C?
5: While he was refusing the federal money for you, his for-profit hospital company paid 1.7 billion in fines for defrauding Medicare. Or was it D?
2: All of the above, because the only thing Rick Scott hates more than Obamacare is facing the political consequences of that position when it actually hurts people he is supposed to serve.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to go with D. It is
3: D, Kelly. Thank yeah. you. To make her a lot. Of- Question number two. During Rick Scott's response to Hurricane Irma, he famously did what? Is it A, sat for two hours whispering to a dolphin until a single
4: tear ran down his cheek? (laughs) We are part of the world, and the world is part of us, he said.
3: (laughs) Is it B?
7: Drove his yacht out into the storm, tying himself to the mast and screaming, if you want Florida, you have to get past me first!
3: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> is it C?
5: Deleted voicemail messages from the nursing home where 14 elderly people died after they lost electricity in the
3: storm.
2: Oh, that was a tough one.
3: I just... I, every time I hear that one... I know. It's tough. It's tough is it one. D?
2: Claim that the only way to stop a hurricane is to repeal Obamacare.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think it's C.
3: It is C. He deleted. Woo! They deleted the voicemails. Kelly, bonus question: What is Rick Scott's position on climate change? Oh. That um, is correct.
6: <laughs> 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 <laughs>
3: <laughs> he. <laughs> He used to deny climate change, now he evades the question. He refuses to have an opinion, quickly changes the subject, even though before Irma, he repeatedly acknowledged that he was worried about the storm being unprecedented. Question number three, Kelly. Rick Scott has recently tried to distance himself from Trump as he plans his Senate run. Scott refused to say if he'd want Trump to campaign for him and asked if Trump would help other Republicans, said you'd have to ask them. But Scott used to be one of Trump's biggest supporters. How far was Scott willing to go for his buddy, was it A, volunteered to
4: be
7: a groundskeeper at Mar-a-Lago? <laughs>
3: <laughs> was it B,
7: pretends to be bald even though he has a full, luxuriant head of hair <laughs> to make the big guy look better?
5: <laughs> <laughs> Is it C, chaired to pro-Trump Super PAC was one of Trump's earliest endorsements, and even though Rubio and Jeb were still in the race for an op-ed before the Florida primary called Donald Trump Has America's Pulse? <laughs>
3: no! I I think I heard Jeb booing. (laughs) He said, please clap. (laughs) He said, please boo, please boo. Or
4: was it D?
2: Over and over again let Trump win at golf, but not like by too much. Scott even took the lead a few times, but always botched it on the last hole, even adding, wow, you beat me again, Mr. President. What a closer. I'm so embarrassed. What a specimen you are. What a man.
0: (laughs) I think he's probably done D, but the answer is C. Correct. (laughs) Correct. You're good.
3: Kelly, you're crushing it. What's your son's name? Asher. Asher. That's a nice name. Thank you. You never know what names you'll get these days, you know? (laughs) Question, I became my grandfather. (laughs) 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 Question four, Rick Scott has been governor since 2010. Don't boo time. (laughs) Which of the following, Kelly, will go down in history as his signature achievement? Is it A,
4: Rick Scott turned down $2.4 billion in federal funds to build high-speed rail systems in Florida, angering Republicans and Democrats?
3: Was it B,
7: Rick Scott signed a 2011 law that created historically long lines at early voting sites in the 2012 election, making it harder for working people to vote? Was it
5: C? Rick Scott was successfully sued for breaking state public record laws and having to pay $700,000 in taxpayer money to pay for his opponent's legal fees. Was it D?
2: More inmates have been executed under Rick Scott than any other governor in the history of Florida.
4: Was it E? Rick Scott reduced unemployment benefits and average wages declined in Florida compared to the rest of the country. The percentage of the Florida population living in poverty has increased. Was it F?
7: Rick Scott somehow managed to increase the state budget by over $10 billion while still cutting 10,000 jobs from the state, work- state workforce. Was it G?
2: Rick Scott actually signed a law that prevents doctors from talking about gun ownership with their patients. Was it H? Rick Scott outsourced prisons to his political
7: donors.
3: Was it I? <laughs> Rick Scott cut
4: funding for people with disabilities and education. Was it Jay?
7: Florida Department of Environmental Protection employees revealed that under Scott's watch, they were ordered not to use the words global warming or climate change in any official communications. And instead of, quote-unquote, sea level rise, they were ordered to say, get this, nuisance flooding. <laughs>
3: or Kelly, was it K? A A protester in Florida yelled at him in a Starbucks, and it made Rick Scott... Patriot saint of Orlando uh, a protester in Florida yelled at him in a Starbucks and it made Rick Scott so sad and angry that he spent thousands of dollars airing an attack ad against this constituent
0: I think it's all of the above Kelly, you got it yeah.
3: you have won we would prefer if Rick Scott did not get elected to the Senate because he's a right-wing ideologue whose policies hurt Florida and the country. So you get a parachute gift card. Woo-hoo! Everybody, give it up for Kelly, a new mom. And everybody, a round of applause for Congresswoman Stephanie Murphy. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for playing. Thank you for all that you're doing. Really appreciate it. So
1: Orlando, you've been wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you to Congresswoman Stephanie Murphy.
3: We'll see you guys later. Thank you. Thank you guys.